Hello, I'm Steve, also known as the Tea Break Knitter on social media. This is my third podcast in a series on how I'm knitting Nahini River Vest. This is based on a pattern by Betts Lampers and published by Simply Shetland, and I'm using wool called Spindrift from Jemsons of Shetland. In the first podcast, I talked about how I read the pattern to find out what I would need for the project, the wool, the techniques, the tools, things like that. In the second podcast, I talked about the cast-on and showed you how I was doing that, that. In this, the third podcast, I'll show you how I'm getting on with actually knitting the project, which means I'll be talking about how I'm using the charts for the colour work, how I'm knitting with two colours, how I've done the cartridge rib, and how I'm knitting the fair isle pattern. Most of this video, I'll be showing you as an overhead shots because I'll actually be showing the charts, showing you the knitting as I'm doing it. Before I show you how I interpret and use charts for colour work, there's just a couple of things I want to say about charts for knitting in general. The first point is that the purpose of a chart is to give you a visual impression of how that knitting is going to be knit and how it's going to look when the final fabric is made. And so you can see on this chart, you can see the basic shapes that are going to be formed by the stitches. And so that's useful to remember that what you're looking at is a picture, it might be simplified, of what your knitting is going to look like when it's finished. And that should help you remember some of the basics of a chart. Charts are numbered upside for each of the rows, if you're knitting flat or rounds if you're knitting in the round, and you will often have the numbers repeated up the sides here. If you're knitting flat, you might find odd numbers on the right-hand side of the chart and even numbers on the left-hand side of the chart. That will be to remind you that when you're on an odd number, you'll be working away in stitches along in that order and when working flat you'll be working back along the row in the other direction because when you're knitting flat and you're knitting from your left needle to the right needle then the first stitches you do will actually appear on the right hand side of the fabric and the last stitches of that round will appear on the left hand side of the fabric if you're working on the front side of the fabric fabric on the outside of the fabric. On the return, typically a purl row, you'll actually be starting at the opposite side. You'll be starting on the side that when the fabric's finished will be the right hand side, the left hand side of the fabric, and so you need to work your way across the chart in the other direction. So knitting flat, you work one way, then the other, then the other, then the other. And that's why in many charts you'll see the odd num numbers written on the right hand side and the even rows numbered on the left-hand side to remind you which side of the chart you've got to start. If you're knitting in the round, you always go from right to left because you're just keeping going knitting in the same direction. You don't reverse knitting the direction of knitting when you're working in the round, so you don't reverse the direction on the chart. And that's something that's very important to bear in mind. And a lot of people, when they start knitting with charts can be confused about which way, way you're knitting. 
These columns are also numbered and that's the stitch into the repeat pattern. It's not necessarily the same as number as a stitch in the row. So that's basic information about all charts used for knitting. Uh, and that, that's the basic difference between reading them for in the round, where you're always going right to left, and we're knitting in the flat, where you're going from a right side row to a wrong side row, so going from left to right, from right to left, then left to right. It's just like remembering that you've got to knit, if you're in stocking it, you knit on the outside and purl on the inside of your fabric. So that, that's a generic bit about knitting with charts. I'll now talk a bit about knitting with colour and charts. This is the style of chart used in the Nahani River pattern. It's very clear and it's very easy to reproduce in black and white. It's also very useful if you're not good at distinguishing between different colours. So in the chart area, these are the various rounds from 1 to 20, and in the Nahini River pattern and many others, these will repeat several times as you work your way up the project. And across the way, you've got the various stitches. And in almost every project, these will repeat as you go round. The X represents a colour in the motif colour, this column here, and this, the blank represents a background colour. And in the pattern, it'll tell you what motif colour to use for each of those rounds and which background colour to use for each of those rounds. There's no indication on the chart itself of where those changes take place. So you need to have a system reminding yourself when you need to change colour. There are other ways of representing information on the chart. And here's another example, perhaps a bit more obvious. In this, the grid, as before, shows you which colour to knit in. But here the colours are represented by the shading of each square. So we've got light green, dark green, blue, red and each of those there will be a key to tell you which colour each coloured square represents and here I've just recolored the, the monochrome one. This is quite easy to read if you're using a few colours however if you're using many different colours seven eight nine ten colours you won't get enough contrast in the pattern to be able to put in a close representative of the yarn you're using into the colour pattern. And you'll find that the pa patterns not only have colours on, but also have different styles of shading to help you distinguish between them. And of course, the colour in the chart doesn't necessarily correspond to being the same colour in the yarn. This may happen with a designer publishing a pattern but it will almost certainly happen if you choose to change the colour scheme of the item you're patting. Then you'll need to remember that a red square represents a white yarn, for example. So 
this is the principle you're using. Each square represents a colour. So let's go back to the monochrome one. The Nohini River pattern is like most fair isle patterns in that as you work your way up then the motif yarn changes. As you can see here in this pattern there's three colour A, three colour B, three colour C, three colour B, three colour A, three colour, colour B etc. And these repeat as you go up. So if you have more than 20 rows then you go back from row 20 to round 1 when you reach that stage. Similarly, almost every project has more stitches in a round than you have stitches shown in the chart. And in that case, you go from 1 to 20, 1 to 20, 1 to 20, just repeating them round as they go. Now, when you're knitting this yourself, you're going to need to remember when to change your motif colour and when to change your background colour. And the method I use to do this is to actually mark up the chart like this. So what I've done here is I've highlighted between the various rounds when I've got to change one of the colours. So I've used the convention on this that a red line means I'm changing the motif colour and the green line means I'm changing the background colour. In this chart, they don't both change at the same time. But that thick line there, I use to tell me, look and see what colours you've got to change. It's a way of reminding me. So that's the first thing I do to make it simple to use. The other thing, that you've got to work out is where you start in the chart. If your pattern is for only one size, then you would normally be starting at column one, going through to 20 and going through like that. But as soon as you get any shaping, you then start to run into the prop issue of where you start in the pattern. And if your patterns are multiple sizes, you'll often find that some of the sizes start at column one, others might start at column 10, depending on the size. So you'll want to put on markings of where you need to start. So, for example, I might want to put a mark there to show that I, in my size I'm making, I'm actually starting in column six every time I start a new round. And similarly, uh, you may not start at the first row in the chart as you start your knitting. Some sizes of the pattern might, others might not. So you might want to mark on the chart where it is that you are going to be starting. And perhaps also mark where you're finishing in the chart, both up and down and as you work your way around the room, work your way around the round. So it's your chart, your copy, you can mark it up in ways that are useful to you. And of course, you can mark up the colour chart in exactly the same way. And here I've still got 
those colour boundaries. They don't necessarily show up as well, but just there as a reminder of saying, hey, you've got to change your colours. Because even as you're working your way up, you may not notice that you've changed colours. Unbelievable as it seems, you may not notice while you're knitting. Because you get so into the pattern, you forget how to do these things. So that's the basic way I use the pattern. The next thing is how on earth do you remember where you are in the pattern? And that's where I use a board. I either use a magnetic board, like this one, which I can put markers on to, or if I'm traveling and more likely to knock things, because the magnets can move, I would use, I tend to use a clipboard and on the back of here, put a sticky, transparent sticky label on to show where I'm up to. Now, how do I show where I'm up to? I'll come back to the monochrome one, because it's less fussy and so easier to see, and I will hold that steady on the board with a few magnets. course the board's on the slope so it keeps slipping. So I've got this transparent magnetic marker. So if I am I'm about to start working row 8 I'll put the marker on so that it is showing me row 8. Of course this is transparent I can also see the rows that are coming up but they're not as important seeing the rows that I'm knitting and the rows that came before it. And I'll explain why these are important. First of all, it should be obvious to why I need to show the rows that I'm knitting. Of course, that's, I've got to remember that's where I am on the cut chart. But it's important to see the row below, because that will help you avoid making mistakes. Because as I'm coming across here, I could just count one motif, three background, four motif, three background, four motif. What comes next? Where am, where am I? Is that that four motifs or that four motifs? You can then look at the row below you and you can make sure your four motifs there are covering a background, two, two motifs, and a background underneath and the same there, so that you can check that you've not missed out a stitch put in an extra stitch. So by being able to look back a row as you're knitting on you can check that you haven't lost your place and that you're still matching up the pattern. So moving up the marker, either the magnetic marker on a magnetic board or a transparent sticky marker, if you're not using a magnetic board that will show you which row you're working on. But both the marker, the transparent ma magnetic marker and the transparent sticking marker can fall off. So when I'm working on a pattern, I will often just do a check 
against each of the rows I'm going up and each time you do a row I'll add a check to it and then use the bar gate marker so that you can see easily which row you're on next. Of course many patterns will repeat many times as you go up and of course the one advantage of remembering to mark it in pencil on the side is that if you do move your marker, grandchildren, pets, move the marker, then you can find where you are again. Another way of helping you remember your, where you are is to use a row counter. And because we're knitting in the round, the row counter won't fit neatly onto your needle. It'll, it'll push the stitches apart, so you want, don't want to do that. So I just tie mine onto a piece of yarn and put that at the start, start of the round. So as I move, move through the knitting, I come across this strand of yarn. I know I'm at the start of another round and I can advance the, the counter so I know how many rows I've done. It's also useful to count so that you're counting where you are on the chart rather than necessarily the number of rows because it's where you are on the chart that's the important thing. How many times you've been through the chart is quite easy to count. So that's how I can remember where I am. Bit of belt and braces approach, use two methods of counting. You definitely need a row marker on the chart so you can see where you are on the chart. And you can either keep a record of where you are by writing in pencil on the chart, or you can use a stitch counter, or of course you could use all three methods. So that's the basics of how you, I use the chart when I'm knitting a fair R pattern. One other thing to, to mention, this is not the pattern for the Nahini River. This is just a simple fair R style pattern that I'm using to do the illustrations for the techniques on this project. It's easier for you to see and I'm not infringing the copyright of the pattern designer in showing you this pattern. Cartridge ridge, which is also known as corrugated rib or vertical striped stranded rib, is really simple. It's knit to in the main colour and purl to in the background colour. So I'll show you how you do that. So knit to in the main colour. Bring background colour to front, purl it. Now this is just standard rib, knit and purl, only the two colours. So now you've stranded the main colour behind the purl stitches. Take your purl back, spread those stitches out a little bit on the needle and knit the main colour again. Bring the yarn forward, stretch out again, 
so that the stranding at the back doesn't pull it tight and purl your two stitches right yarn to the back knit the two stitches yarn to the front knit the two stitches So it's as simple as that, but what you have to remember is to uh, allow enough slack at the back. So let me show you where I'm going to do it too tightly. So here's my main colour, knitting two, and now for the purl two, bring it to the front, but I'm going to really Tug that tight and knit these two, or purl these two stitches. And then I'm going to tug this one tight. And that one. Really tight. And then I'll finish the round and show you what it looks like when I've written and when I've knitted another round. So here's that area that we were pulling tight after we've done a few rows of knitting. And you can see that the tight area is narrower. And if I hold it up like this. You might just see that the pearl section is now sitting proud of the surface and the knit section is lying slightly depressed. So this is the opposite of what you would expect from normal rib and also from cartridge rib, <coughs> corrugated rib, you would expect to be more or less even because the strands across the back are stopping the pearl stitches moving backwards as they would in a normal rib. So pulling too tight in corrugated rib stops it being so stretchy. It also makes the purl stitches more prominent than the knit stitches. It's not a great sin, but you might find it annoying. And it certainly makes it even less stretchy than corrugated rib normally is. So how do you go about knitting with more than one colour? Well, one way, if you're following this line on the pattern here, is to knit in one colour. If you have one, one of the motif colour, then you swap, swap your yarns. Do the three stitches in that colour, drop the yarn, pick the other one up, knit in that colour and keep going on like that. Another way 
some people prefer is to loop the two yarns over your finger and then knit with the colour of yarn that you're using. I've done two in the background and now to do one in the foreground. Now three in the background. And one in the foreground. And you keep going like that. I prefer to hold one yarn in my right hand, and one yarn in my left hand, and knit English with my right hand. and continental with my left hand. So it's up to you which way you, you, you choose to knit, provided you've got an even tension with each, each stitch, it'll work fine. So I'll continue using the continental method because that's the one I normally use, or the two-handed method. Starting again at the beginning of the row, here, disentangle myself, so start off motif colour, three, two, three, with the background colour. Now I'm going to make sure that those stitches are actually sitting comfortably and not bunched up on the left hand, on the right hand needle, because then when I strand the other yarn across it's not going to be pulling them tight. So that's that stitch. Two, being careful not to pull too tight across that other one. One, three, one, two. One, 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 one. So now we have the next row of the column. And we continue on the next side. I'll talk you through other things I'm doing at the same time.
do the upper round. <coughs> We're at the start of the round. And the first thing I'm looking for is whether this pattern of motif, three backgrounds, motif, motif, three backgrounds, motif, match up what's already on the needle. If it didn't match up, then I'd have a problem. I'd need to find out what's gone wrong. So, background. Now I'm doing three of the motif stitches here. I was going to strand three stitches across the back. Now a strand of three stitches is fine. It's short. But if you're getting a strand like this one, you just have a lot more stitches on these six ones down here. You could get that caught in your finger if it's in a sleeve. And then it's not only going to pull, but of course you're going to get your hand stuck as you go to thin. So for very long floats, you want to use a technique to stop the float being so big, but you don't want to change the pattern. Now, although there's only three stitches here, the technique is the same. So I'll show you what you do. So you knit typically for two or three stitches. That will give you a two or three stitch float. Obviously here it's only one stitch. Then before you knit the next stitch, you wrap the yarn that you're stranding around the needle. Then you wrap your coloured yarn, your main coloured yarn, normal. Knit it and take it off. Now, we'll do that again when we come to the next group of three. What I'm looking for now, I've just knit that background yarn on top of a motif yarn. And I've got two background yarns for two motif yarns, so I'm still keeping the pattern going correctly. Background yarn on top of motif yarn. And now I've got to do three motif. Remember, I'm going to catch this one. I wouldn't normally with only three. So round the back, knit the stitch normal, take it back round again, and you've caught that yarn, and that's the three stitches. I'll show you how to catch those stitches again. So, background stitch. You want to catch this stitch, so the background yarn around the needle, wrap into the yarn that we're going to make the stitch with, and then take the background yarn back again. And we'll do it once more. Now, if you'll notice, I am keeping the motif yarn in my left hand all the time. You'll see this when I show you other clips as well. And the background yarn is always in my right hand. That's to manage something called yarn dominance. Uh, Rox, Roxanne Richardson has discussed this uh, in her series of colour videos. Uh, so you might want to look at the URL on showing on the screen to find out more about yarn dominance. So, back to the knitting. 
we now need another group of three. So again, I'll show you how to catch the stitch. Wrap the yarn you're stranding around the back, make the stitch as normal and take the yarn back again. And that's caught it at the back of the piece of work. And that'll stop it catching on your fingers and stop by stopping the strand becoming too long. And I'll continue to the end of this, this row. And then as you can see on the next, we've got three background color stitches and I'll show you how to trap the motif when we get there. So here we are back at the start of the next round and we've got a run of three background colour stitches here. Now remember you don't need to trap floats on only three stitches but once you get up to five, six, seven, eight or more then that strand becomes longer and you, you can catch your fingers in it on the garment. It also means it is more difficult to have the right tension of that strand there's a tendency to make it too loose or too tight in the finished item. So I'll show you how to strand or catch a strand of the foreground colour. So first stitch is foreground colour, next stitch background. We want to trap the foreground colour this time. So you go to make the stitch but before you use your background colour just slip the motif yarn across the top of the needle. I'll show you again. So you've inserted the needle, just lay it across the top. So you're winding it in the opposite direction than you will if you were knitting a stitch. You then form the knit stitch with the background colour, take the motif colour back over the end of the needle again, so it's just lying over the top of the background yarn and you've made a stitch and caught the float. We'll do that again with the next one of three. So first stitch is normal. The second stitch you started as normal. Foot motif yarn over the needle, form the stitch, take motif yarn back and continue knitting. So for to catch the right hand yarn you would wrap it round the needle before making the stitch with the other yarn and to catch the left hand yarn, place it over the top of the needle before making the stitch. And that's it for trapping the yarn. I'll just finish this round. I've now finished round six and about to start round seven. And in this round, I'll show you how to find some simple mistakes and how you could correct them.
So we're starting round seven with two background colour followed by a motif colour and that should be background, motif, background, motif in row six. But what I've got here is background, background, motif, background. So we just check the front to make sure that we have got a row of stitches there and to make sure that the floats are going as you'd expect so the background colour is being carried across and the motif colour has been knit there. So we've got to correct these two stitches here. So row seven, I start off by knitting a background stitch. Now this stitch is a mistake. So we want to drop that off the needle and the next stitch is a mistake and we want to drop that off the needle. And the reason I'm doing both stitches at once is because I've now released the length of cable from that of yarn from that stitch and from that stitch. So now if I transfer this stitch here, one that's got to be a motif stitch, I can now knit that and I've used up that spare yarn from that second stitch. And the next one has got to be a background colour, so I bring up that background float and put it there. So that's now round six corrected for those two stitches. So I can now continue with row seven, which is two background colours followed by a motif on top of a background. We now have two backgrounds, the first on a motif. Background. Background. Followed by two motifs on top of two backgrounds. Motif motif and they're both on backgrounds. Now two backgrounds, the first on a background, oh and the next one is on a motif but we've got a background colour here. So what's happened? Well this one's slightly different. You can see here, coming back a few rounds, those two stitches and those two stitches in the same round that stitch and that stitch are in different rounds. This one's stretched and that's because if you look on the back here's the working yarn from the previous round. I've got the, that strand is being floated there and also the background colour is being floated. So I slipped that stitch rather than knitting it. So I just need to go back and check what colour I need on there and it should be and it should be the motif colour. Let's bring that motif up here. That's the, the strand from the back. Knit that and now we're in the position to knit the second of those background colours.
So I'd slipped the stitch rather than knitting it. And that'll be because I didn't catch the motif yarn when I should have done. And just so it ended up just slipping the stitch across. Now continue with the row. You need motif on top of a background, two background, one on the motif and one on the background, two motifs on the background, two background, first on the background, second on the motif, now a motif on the background, followed by two backgrounds, one on a motif and one on the background, followed by a motif. So we've now done that first pattern repeat on that row, having made a few corrections on the way across. And the reason we could make those corrections without having to unpick everything is that we were only talking about one or two stitches having to transfer from one colour to the other. And in one case, we just had to switch two stitches round. So we weren't using up very much yarn. If we were, you had a run of stitches, you'd need to frog back because otherwise your motif or your background colours would disappear as the yarn became very tight as it was stretched to make up those extra stitches. At long last, I'm going to show you how my project is actually getting on, knit with the real pattern and the real wool. What we're looking at here is the bottom part and around the cast on area. So here, here's the cast on and here is actually the start of a round where the cast on and cast off finished. And that's why this, this clump of wool here, that's the cast on wool. You can see round here, the marker yarn that I used to help me count the number of stitches I had. And I also used it to help prevent me twisting that cast on edge as I joined in the round. Starts off with a section of cartridge rib and as with most traditional fair aisle you can see here that the colours vary as you go up that rib section. In this case it's the motif colours that are varying. When you finish the rib section there's a change in needle size it's one of the things you can forget to do as you're, as you're going along. I remembered this time. And then you start into the pattern section. To help me with the pattern, I've put in a few stitch markers. As we work along the round, the first stitch marker I put in is one at the centre of the stitch of the front of the vest. This is going to be that midpoint, it's going to be the base of the V as you form the V-neck. This will help me check as I do each round that the correct column of the motif is occurring at that point. It's another of those cross checks that you can do to make sure that you're not drifting off in the pattern. Then the next stitch marker is at the edge of the front. So this, as you're looking at the wearer, 
will be the right hand side of the vest. The size I'm knitting asks you to ask for an extra stitch to be put in there and I've made that extra stitch look like a seam by purling it all the way up and regardless of where I am in the stitch pattern I've made it a background colour. Uh, the reason for that is I wanted to create this appearance of having a seam there and because it's a purl stitch it's also another reminder to me that I have reached the end of one set of colour pattern repeats and it's time to start the next set of pattern repeats. That's also going to be where the steaks for the armholes are centred. Then we come around to the centre of the back and I've marked the centre of the back with another stitch marker. The centre stitch is actually the one to the left of it. And again, it's so that I can make sure that I've got the symmetry of the pattern. It's also where any shaping for the back of the neck is going to be taking place, centred on that. And then the final stitch marker is at the end of the round to tell me I've reached the end of the pattern. I've reached almost reached the end of the round. I've got to do another additional stitch with the purl stitch to form the pseudo seam on the wearer's left. You'll see that I've been cautious. I've not left this on the needles. I put the end stops on. That way I won't slip, accidentally slip the stitches off while I'm showing it to you. And what I have here is the stitch counter that I'm using to do my double check that I'm on the correct row. And if you're eagle-eyed, you can see that it's showing 48, which and my, the convention that I use when using a stitch counter is that the stitch counter shows the number of the last round that I have completed. So if it says 48, I know that I should be starting on round 49. What I am also doing with this particular pattern, because the pattern refers to either the length that you've knitted or it refers to the round number in the chart. I reset the counter when I reach, have to cycle through the chart vertically so that the number on the stitch counter matches the number on the edge of the chart. It's pretty obvious how many times you've gone through the chart and repeated it. So that's another thing I'm going to use to make it easier to see where I am. So the way I'm marking my progress through the chart is I've got the magnetic marker that I move up the chart as I knit and I'm also advancing the stitch counter every round I do. If I were traveling with this I would also mark on the chart each time I finished a row because that row marker is going to slip or I could catch the stitch counter. The other thing that you need to do obviously as you're, check, as you're going along is to check as you knit that the pattern that you should be 
knitting into, so the round before the one that you're actually working on, actually matches up what's in the chart. Because I can, you can forget to advance your stitch counter, you can forget to, to move your magnetic marker, or of course they could get shaken and change for some other reason. So you want to do lots of cross checks, because the last thing you want to do is unpull all this. If I show you the inside, let's start with the worst bit first. Here's the beginnings of the round. Here's where I've changed, had to change the yarns, and the yarns are all hung at the end here. You can see from the way I'm having to tug to pull them apart, the yarns are starting to stick together. What I will do at the end is weave these yarns in. I could have woven them in as I was going along, uh, but I felt it was, although it would be a lot of work, weaving them in as I go. There are advantages in weaving them in at the end. So that's what I'm, I'm going to do. And I'll just finish turning it inside out for you. You've seen the pattern from the outside. Here's the pattern from the inside, which I'm pleased is nice and even, and there are no very long floats in here. You can see in this area where I've caught floats, where I was having a particularly long run in the pattern. So that's my progress. As you saw on the stitch counter, I'm 48 rounds into knitting that pattern. I've got a fair way to go before I reach that neckline, which is where I'm going to be introducing the V for the neck and come across the armholes, each of which is going to need steaking, which will have its own particular preparation for, for it. For those of you who've never come across steaking before, steaking is a technique where you can keep continuing knitting in the round, which is a lot easier having to stop and particularly to stop you having to go change from knitting in the round to knitting backwards and forwards because knitting backwards and forwards your tension is often different from that knitting in the round so it's got big advantages it does mean though that you have to cut your knitting which is something that needs a little bit of courage but but only the first time you've done it once you've done it you discover that the wool holds together nice, nicely. So this is the wool that I've separated before, and you can see it's already starting to cling together a bit. And that's reassuring for when it comes to doing the steeps. So here's my project. This is where I've reached. I'll put the camera away and take it out again when I'm ready to start that steaking progress, and I'll do an episode based on how I'm doing the steeps. That's the progress I've made with the project so far. We've talked about how I'm using the charts for the colour work, how I knit with two colours, how I did the cartridge rib, and how I'm knitting the Fair Isle pattern. In the next podcast, I'll be talking about how I'm doing the steaking for the project. In the meantime, the show notes for this podcast are at the URL that you can see on the screen. Until the next time, happy knitting!